Welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we hope will inspire, encourage, and challenge you to grow closer to God. So sit back, prepare your heart, and see where God can take you. Let me ask you a quick question. What would you think of me if I told you that once I dressed a child in a garbage bag and sent them out in public? Now hang on, hang on, hang on. Before you judge me, I can feel the judgment already. Before you judge me, you don't know the story. So let me share the story with you. You see, you weren't there that day in Lowe's. When this child, I'm not gonna tell you who the child was, whether it was my son, my daughter, my nephew, my niece, you know, a third cousin twice removed. I'm not gonna tell you who it was, but this child convinced me that they could go to the bathroom by themselves, that mom was fine with it. You, you weren't there that day when they went into the stall by themselves and I'm waiting. And when they came out of the stall, they were literally covered with poo. Yeah, I, I don't know if you can say poo in church, but <laughs> covered, man, just covered. You weren't there going, what do I do? I can't march this child through lows like this. They're gonna call child services, right? And, and even if I could get the child out the door, I'm gonna set that child covered with that stuff in my car on my upholstery. No, 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 no. I'm there going, what do I do? That's when my eyes fell on a box of those hefty brand garbage bags, the big ones, the outdoor ones. All of a sudden, I get this plan, starts formulating in my mind. I can tear a hole in the top, put it over the child's head, put some, you know, arms you know, holes for the arms to go out. I can tie, you know, underneath their feet and I can lift the child, carry the child. Maybe no one will notice. I can get the child out, set him her, or her in the seat so that there's, you know, nothing getting on the upholstery. This, this, is, a, this is the plan. Now you understand. Now you're not judging me as much. I don't know. I kind of feel like you're still judging me. I really feel like you're going, what kind of parent are you, you know? Hey, um, none of us like to be judged, do we? None of us enjoy somebody like putting us under the microscope, as it were, and just kind of sizing us up. None of us like to be in those microscope moments where all of a sudden we're under the scrutiny of people that they don't know our story. They don't know what we've been through. They don't know what's happening within our life. None of us enjoy being judged. Probably that's the reason why Matthew chapter seven, verse one and two, could be the most often quoted scripture in all of the Bible. And let me just add, maybe even the most often misquoted passage of scripture in the entirety of the word of God. Matthew chapter seven, verse one and two are the words of Jesus. Here's what he said. He said, don't judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Again, this verse is so often quoted, I think many times misquoted, and we just have this idea that there's no room for judgment. When in fact, the scripture actually says that a spiritual man judges all things. It's how we judge, it's, it's how uh, we find ourselves 
you know, under the microscope lens that really, really matters, that really the Bible really speaks to. And so today I wanna just unpack that thought with you. I, I wanna talk about what it's like to be under the microscope because many of you, many of you feel like you live under a microscope, that people are constantly just sizing you up, that you are living under the scrutiny of others. And so I want to talk about that for just a minute because I'll be honest with you, I can relate. You know, as a kind of as a public figure, I'm connected with thousands of people through our church. We have a relatively large church. And so I'm regularly meeting up with people in an, in an environment like at a store or maybe in a restaurant. And as soon as our eyes connect, I know they know me and I know they expect me to know them. And I'm just gonna be honest with you, I don't always know them, you know what I'm saying? I haven't necessarily met them and connected with them, and so, or sometimes I'll recognize them because I'm great with faces, but I'm not so good with names. Anybody else have that problem? And so, what do you do? You know, what do you do in that setting? Because if you don't acknowledge them and they indeed know you, they're gonna think, oh, Pastor Jeff just, he doesn't care about us, you know. He's not really, he's not really, you know, someone that puts a whole lot of stock in any kind of connection with me. I don't want anybody feeling that way. And so I decided years ago, I was just gonna say hello to everybody. But then that finds its own form of judgment because if you don't know me and I'm going, hey, bud, how are y'all? You're like, who's that weirdo, right? You know what I'm saying? And there I am back under the microscope. And, and it even gets weirder with the opposite sex. Right, because some of these people that I think, that they think I know them are female. And so again, because I've made this decision that I'm just gonna say hello to everybody. And you know, if I don't remember names, then it's always, hey buddy, hey buddy, how you doing? Hey, good to see you big guy, good to see you pal. Or with the ladies, it's hey girl, hey girl, how are you? <laughs> hey girl, how's, how's your mom and them? You know what I'm saying? And so I'm always doing that. So, in the case of someone of the opposite sex, if indeed I don't know her and I'm all like, hey girl, how you doing? She's like, who's that pervert, right? <laughs> Maybe she's on Facebook later that week and sees our, you know, our broadcast there on Facebook and she goes, that's that pervy that I saw in Walmart this week, right? So I'm under there, man. I'm always under the microscope. So I know that feeling, man. I know where you are. I know, you know, the tension of that moment where we feel like we've fallen under the scrutiny of someone else. So I thought for the next couple of weeks, what I would do is I'd just go under the microscope with you and I would just talk to you about some things you consider. Let me give you three things today to get this started and then we'll return to this idea next week. But I wanna talk to you about three things to consider under the microscope. If you feel like people are sizing you up and making judgments about you and about things that you're doing and you just don't know how to really respond to that, let me give you some things to consider. I wanna give you three things, okay? First thing, and they're all gonna to come to you in the form of a question today. So the first question that I want you to ask right there under the microscope is I want you to ask, how can I alter this? What can I do to stay out from under someone else's 
microscope, lens. How can I alter this? How can I live in such a way that it, at least it doesn't happen as, as much as it seems to be happening? How can I alter this? And I think the answer to that question is found in Matthew's gospel, chapter seven. Let's go there together. Matthew chapter seven, verse three through five. Once again, the words of Jesus, he said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. Wow, can we stop and talk about that just a minute? Because the truth is, we feel like we're called to remove the speck out of other people's eyes, right? We feel like God's given us a special calling or anointing to, to remove the speck out of everybody else's eye. We feel like that we are gifted and qualified to let everybody else know what's wrong with them, what they need to do differently, how they could turn things around. We're ready in a moment's notice, to take the speck out of someone else's eye. But look, we got a, Jesus said, you got a beam right there protruding out of your own eye that you don't want anybody to address. I'm waiting on you. You don't want anybody to bring up the beam <laughs> that's sticking out of your own eye. He goes on in Matthew chapter seven to say, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye. I love that Jesus doesn't mince words, does he? He just, he just says it like it is. And he goes on in verse five, Matthew seven, verse five. He says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You don't wanna be under the microscope. Don't put anybody else under there yourself. We're a lot like that little boy that was out on the camping trip with his family. They were up in the mountains and there's a number of caves in that area and their campsite happened to be just right there by one of those caves and dad brought his little boy who'd never seen a cave before, brought him over there and he said to his little boy, he said, you're not gonna believe this, but there's a little boy that lives in that cave. The little boy said, really? He goes, yeah, watch this. He said, I want you to, I want you to yell into that cave and I want you to say, hey, little boy. And so his son did. He said, hey, little boy. And the voice came back, hey, little boy. He said, see there, there's a little boy in there. Tell him, say, I wanna be your friend. And the little boy said, I wanna be your friend. And the other voice came back in echo, I wanna be your friend. And the little guy was just mesmerized with it. Dad went over and started attending to the campsite to set it all up, left his son over there. And in a few minutes, the little boy came running up to him and he was so brokenhearted. And, and his little feelings had gotten hurt and he was crying and he said, that little boy in the cave's being mean to me. And his dad said, what do you mean? He said, well, he, he says I'm ugly. And he says he, he, he doesn't want to be my friend. And dad took all that in and said, hey, I believe if you go back over there again and you just let him know, little boy, I'm sorry. Little boy, I want to be your friend. I think y'all can make it right. Can you see the connection to how we're doing life? Because we don't want everybody saying those negative things to us. We don't want anybody, you know, bagging on us in any way. And yet that's the very thing that we're dealing out to everybody else. We don't want to be under the microscope, but we've got them under ours. If you want to consider a few things with me today about this microscope moment that you may be in, let me start with number one. Let's ask the question, how can I alter this? You see, Galatians chapter six and verse seven says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. 
a man reaps what he sows. We've taken the last two weeks, if you've been here, you know this, to talk to you about sowing and reaping, about seed time and harvest. What we shared with you is that all time is seed time. And everything we do every day, every action we take, how we treat each other, the things we say, those are seed that we're sowing and they're gonna come back to us in some form of harvest. And so keep people out from under your microscope if you wanna stay out from under theirs. It's so important that we recognize that and realize that. I love the story of, and and this will be like ancient history for some of you guys because you won't remember, but way back in the day, when you pulled up to the gas station, it used to be called a service station. And some of you are old enough to remember that the service station had a service attendant. And when you pulled up, they begin to serve you. They checked the pressure on the tires on your car. They checked the oil. They washed your windshield as they filled you up with fuel. Anybody old enough to remember those days? Ah, man, those were great days, man. And this guy had pulled up to a service station and the attendant was washing his windshield. But when he got done, the man rolled down his window and he said, hey, you still left some streaks there. You need to take care of that windshield. And so the man said, oh, I'm sorry. And he washed the windshield again. But the, the, the driver, the man tells him, no, 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 it's still not right. And this happened several times when finally the wife sitting over in the passenger seat, she's had enough. She reaches over, she pulls off her husband's eyeglasses and begins to clean them with a Kleenex. And when, she, when he puts them back on, the windshield is perfectly clear. And I just came to church to tell somebody, you're complaining about a windshield when it's your own eyeglasses that you need to get cleaned up. And once you do, you'll see, come on y'all. You'll see that God said, judge not lest you be judged. We're living under a microscope because we've got everybody else under a microscope. So, so the first question is, how can I alter this? The second question becomes, how can I learn from this? How can I learn from this? Because in reality, can, can we just get honest today? This isn't the worst place in the world to be. The worst case scenario is to actually find the, it's, it's, it's to actually not realize the fault in your life that your friend is trying to point out and just live there. That's the worst case scenario. So every time we have a microscope moment, we need to stop and we need to be willing to embrace that moment and say, what can I learn from this? See, Proverbs chapter 11 and verse two says, pride, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. I don't know about you, but I want the wisdom of God. I wanna live in that wisdom. I wanna live out that wisdom. And so in a microscope moment, I've got to be willing to say, is there something I need to learn here? Is there something that I need to be honest with myself about? Is there something I need to address, something I need to tend to? You see, here's the truth. The truth is a microscope doesn't make something bigger. It just makes it appear bigger. In that microscope moment, Your friend's not making more out of something that it really is. He's just pointing out what you're incapable of seeing yourself. And it seems to me that we would live with that assumption, but we don't. 
We live with the assumption that we've got it all together. We live with the assumption that all of our motives are right. We live with the assumption that we couldn't possibly be missing it in any way. Can I just tell you what the word of the Lord says about every one of us, me, you, every one of us? Can I tell you at home, this is what the word of the Lord says. It says our hearts are deceitfully wicked and we can't even know our own hearts. Thanks for all those amens. You know, a couple years ago, once again, as a nation, we were having a conversation that many, many people are uncomfortable with about bigotry, about racism. And you know, we're so quick to push back on that and go, oh, no, no, not me. I'm not a racist. I couldn't possibly be prejudiced or bigoted. Why would you assume that? Why wouldn't we assume that we have the potential for that when God said our hearts are wicked? Instead of assuming that we couldn't possibly have it wrong, let's just assume that there are gonna be always some things we've gotta adjust, some things we've gotta deal with, some things that, that, that we've got to own and be responsible for and just see this microscope moment as a learning moment and be honest enough before God and open enough before God to say, God, what do I need to learn here? God, what do I need to take care of here? Here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that we're so uncomfortable under the microscope that we're actually more comfortable allowing sin to remain in our life than to have it confronted. We're more comfortable living in a way that displeases God than to have to go through the loving confrontation, the loving rebuke that is necessary for us to see what we couldn't see before, take care of that sin, put it behind us, get free from it, and go on with God. Anybody here understand what I'm telling you today? The microscope moment isn't all that bad. When you're in that microscope, moment. When you're under the microscope, here's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to reject it. He wants you to push back on it immediately and assume they couldn't possibly be right about something they're trying to point out, some flaw in my character they're trying to point out. Satan would love for you to reject it. And he would love for you to retaliate. Oh, I know I am, but what are you? And all of a sudden, we're making up stuff about this person to try to retaliate for something they just lovingly tried to point out within our lives. Y'all look at me like I am preaching at the wrong church. Man, if you could have preached this on the south side, those people need to hear that. Come on, man, we all need to hear this. Satan would have you rejected. He would have you retaliate. And then he would have you resent it. I know people that have lived for months, some of them for years, in bitterness and resentment over someone who came to them privately and lovingly and tried to bring biblical correction in their life. And you know what? They've lived all these years in that bitterness and they refer to it as church hurt. Now hang on just a second. I want to preface what I'm about to say to you by saying, I understand church hurt can be a very real thing and that it happens often. And that sometimes, despite our best intentions, you know, we don't handle everything right. And if I've been guilty of that, God, forgive me. You please forgive me. At the same time, I refuse to allow the idea of church hurt 
to cause me to tear every page out of the Bible that tells us we've got to confront one another, that tells us we've got to love each other enough to rebuke one another, wound one another faithfully with our loving confrontation. Come on, church. That's not church, church. That's called discipleship. And we've got to, we've got to be willing to own that under that lens that someone has us there under. We need to ask, okay, how can I alter this? But if it can't be altered, how can I learn from this? You know, Satan would have you reject, retaliate, and resent someone putting out your faults. What would God have you to do under that microscope? He would have you reflect. Maybe they're right. Maybe I need to change some things. He would have you repent. Turn from the sin that is exposed within your life. And he would have you respond in a way that helps you to be closer to God, stronger in the faith, more of the witness that God has called us all to be. So that's what we need to do under the microscope. Third question is this. First, number one, how can I alter this? Secondly, how can I learn from this? And then the third question becomes, how can God get the glory from this? How can God get the glory from me being here under someone's scrutiny? Uh, first of all, I mean, isn't that the point? Isn't the point to give God glory? Isn't that the point of our life, the point of our existence to glorify God? So let's ask that question. How can, how can God get the glory from this? I think it starts with an acknowledgement that the things they're pointing out are just our imperfections and none of us are perfect. My sense of value my sense of self-worth isn't tied to some perfection someone's going to find under the microscope. In reality, my sense of self-worth, my sense of value is all wrapped up in him. It's not about who I am, it's about who he is. That's where my worth and my value is discovered. And so if someone pointing out your flaw robs a sense of value from you, you're finding your worth and your value in the wrong place. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse seven through 10. The apostle Paul writes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit here and he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations God had given him. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Watch this. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. All these flaws, all these imperfections, they're under the microscope lens. God said, my power is made perfect in that. It's made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may uh, rest on me. And that's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Come on, in, in that microscope moment, I delight in it. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. Now listen to me. My personal faith story includes things that I am desperately ashamed of. The years that I spent in addiction, the things that I did to feed that addiction, the, the way I treated 
the people I love most in this world are things that I'm desperately ashamed of today. And yet, for these 40 years now, God's had me share that as a part of my story. Why? Because in my weakness, he is strong. People get to see what God is capable of doing with someone. Someone who was controlled by things that I'm so ashamed of today. God's strength is demonstrated in how he's been able to set me free. And look at me, he can set you free as well. If you attend church here, you know what I'm about to tell you is true. Many times as I'm sharing through teaching and preaching, I'll get emotional. And, and, and man, the tears will come. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. You know, you know I, I'm a man, right? No, 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 no. I'm talking John Wayne, y'all, come on. Clint Eastwood, man, right? And so I hate weeping before people. And yet for all these years, it happens regularly. You don't have to say amen. <laughs> when it first started years ago, decades ago, oh, it would bother me so bad. And I'd go to God and I'd say, God, I hate doing that. Please, I don't wanna do that. I'll never forget the day. God said, I can take it away. I can give you a heart of stone if that's what you want. And I immediately hit my knees. I said, Lord, no, don't do that. A broken and a contrite spirit you will not despise. God, let me be broken. It's 35 years of ministry now. I just cry to the glory of God, right? <laughs> In my weakness, his strength is made perfect. Listen, the best way to stay out from under someone else's microscope is to put yourself under a microscope of your own. Sometimes the only reason why God's having to send someone else to you to point out your faults is because you won't be honest about them yourself. You never even stop to consider, hey, is God pleased with how I'm living? what I'm doing, how I'm treating people. And the best way to stay out from under the microscope of others is to stay under a microscope of your own. James 5, 13 through verse 15 says, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is he happy? Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The best way to live your life is regularly go under a microscope moment that's self-imposed, that you've put in place yourself so that you can see what you've not been able to see about yourself. And when God, in that microscope moment, points out some fault, some, some chink in the armor, deal with it, man. Go to somebody, confess it. Get it right for God, before God so that, so that he can heal you. He can deliver you. He can set you free. He can demonstrate his strength right there in your weakness. Get under the microscope, man. I believe the, the reason 
that we live dysfunctional, unhealthy lives is simply because we won't be honest. We won't be honest with God. We won't be honest with one another. We won't be honest with ourselves. But listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse five, where Paul the apostle writes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he tells every one of us, examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. He writes, test yourself. Can you turn to a friend? Right now, just tell them, test yourself. Come on, tell them that. You you need to test yourself, man. Get under the microscope. That's what he's saying. Get under the microscope. Let God point out these weaknesses and fill them with his strength. Hey, everyone, this is Pastor Jeff Abels, and I just wanted to take a minute to thank you for joining us on our podcast today. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been dealing with your heart as you've listened to this message, and you feel like, You just need to get right with God. If you have no real assurance that you are right with God, if you cannot honestly say you've been living for God and you know that needs to change, I wanna invite you to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior right now. You know, the Bible tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means God loves you and God's ready to save you. He's just waiting on you to call on Him. Why don't you call on Him right now by praying a very simple prayer with me. I want you to repeat the words of this prayer after me. Let those words come right from your heart. Let's pray. Dear God, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I know my sin separates me from God and I don't want that I believe in Jesus I believe he died for me I believe he rose again through faith in Jesus I believe my life can change so I ask you Jesus come into my heart forgive all my sin and change my life Be Lord of my life from this day forward. I don't live for me anymore or this world. God, I want to live for you. Help me to do that. And I thank you right now, even as I pray. According to your promise, my sin is all forgiven. I'm now right with God. I am saved. Thank you, God, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you just prayed that prayer with me, we would really love to know about it. We'd love to give you some next steps to get you started on your brand new journey of faith. What I'd love for you to do is just text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 337 222-3210 and someone will connect with you to provide you with some resources that I think will help you greatly again just text the word SAVED S-A-V-E-D to 337-222-3210 thanks again for joining us on the podcast today and God richly bless you is our prayer for you